This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Archie Goodwin, Nero Wolf's assistant, is trying to convince Nero that they need to earn some money after Nero's just spent nearly $4,000 on orchids and informs him he has some prospects waiting to see him. Miss Gloria Kent has inherited some money from her mother, $10,000, but her father has spent it without her permission. Her father thought he was being clever by buying a treasure map, but Miss Kent has knowledge that her father has been swindled. She wants that money back without any scandal. So, let's join the action right now, here on Nero Wolf. My boss is the smartest and the stubbornest, the fattest and the laziest, the cleverest and the craziest, the most extravagant detective in the world, Nero Wolf. It's the adventure of Stamped for Murder with that brilliant, eccentric private detective, orchid fancier and gargantuan gourmet, Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Instructions for this morning, Archie. Your notebook, please. First, Mr. Salen's back. Inform him that the Long Island peafowl he sent were most unsatisfactory. Peafowl's breast flesh is not sweet and tender unless it is well protected from all alarms, especially from the air, to prevent nervousness. Long Island is full of airplanes. Look, Mr. Wolf, I... I shall want a dozen chickens that have been raised on blueberries and a fresh-killed lamb for tomorrow. Uh, Mr. Wolf, please listen, there's... Mr. Goodwin, be quiet, and then dinner on the following day becomes a problem. Mr. Wolf, dinner any day is going to be a problem if we don't pay Sausenbach's bill. And pay it. With what? The bank account's empty. Ridiculous. There were $4,000 yesterday. But you bought that shipment of orchid bulbs from Wineold Gluckner. Mr. Wolf, we need money. You've got to stop eating and drinking beer long enough to earn some... <laughs> You're an alarmist. Will you, for the love of heaven, stop turning down clients and turn an honest dollar? I've got a couple of prospects right outside the door. Send them away. No, sir. Send them away. Tell them I've gone to Egypt. Nothing doing, sir. Confound you, Archie. Obey order. Send them away. Miss Kent, Mr. Rodman, come in, please. Thank you. Confound you, Archie. You're mutinous. Yes, sir, and you're stuck with it. This is Miss Gloria Kent and Mr. Rodman. They arrived as advertised with a pressing problem. Good morning. You people are here by sufferance only. I shall speak to Mr. Goodwin about it later. Yes, indeed. I don't like pressing problems, Miss Kent. What are yours? My father. Indeed? I'm on a court of domestic relations, Miss Kent. What did your father do? Beat you? Withhold your earnings? Discourage your suitors? 
Mr. Goodwin should have informed you this office does not undertake cases involving marital or family problems. But that's not... If Mr. Goodwin had not been beguiled by your pretty face, he might have warned you and avoided this embarrassment to you and annoyance to me. Now, 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 take it easy, take it easy. How many times have I told you you don't know how to handle women? Then suppose you let Miss Kent handle me. Well, it's simply this, Mr. Wolfe. I had some money my mother left me. My father's just spent it without my permission. I want it back without a scandal. Thanks, Miss Kent. How much? How spent? $10,000. Father bought a treasure map. Indeed? From whom? A pair of swindlers named Cross and Halleck. They've driven him crazy, talking about fortunes salvaged from the SS this and the SS that. He, he's got a map and old letters he studies. He, he's childish. Many fortunes have been recovered. Many more await on the sea bottom. How do you know your father has been duped? Well, I know. You do, Mr. Rodman. Yes. Cross and Halleck bought some old letters from me, written by my grandfather from Hawaii. They used them to manufacture the map and evidence. And that's what they sold to Kent. Father thought he was being so clever. He had the paper analyzed. Of course, the document research laboratory said the letters were genuine. They were. But something new had been added. I'd have never known if Mr. Rodman hadn't told me. You're a party to the swindle, Mr. Rodman? I was not. I never knew what they were up to. Mr. Wolf, you've got to help me. I can't do anything with Father. I can't convince him. Even Mr. Rodman can't. No, Miss Kent, I'm sorry. This is not for me. But you must. You must. Not I... in my office, madam. No tears. Please, please, Archie, stop her. Okay, okay, okay. Archie, when Miss Kent has finished her disgraceful exhibition, show them out. How dare you walk out on the Easy, easy, easy. I know him. I know him. You don't. He gets into a panic when women cry, or else he's curious about what Fritz is cooking for lunch. Now, just uh, wait a minute, please. Oh, aren't you ashamed of yourself walking out like that on that poor kid? That hysterical gamma. <laughs> She's lost all of her money. She needs help. I charge high fees, Archie. So charge a small fee. Do you want her to starve? Good heavens. Starve? How monstrous. I'm not kidding. While you'll be in here smelling your dinner, she and her father will be starving. I thought you were bringing me a paying client. Well, this is different. She's, uh... You're beautiful. Archie, you're impossible. Oh, very well. Go back into them. Get names, addresses, facts. I am not committed to Miss Kent's case, but we'll see. Be a tribute I pay for your weakness for a pretty face. <laughs> Rodman and Gloria Kent were gone, however... So all I had were the few facts they'd given me before they met Wolf. I felt guilty about that when he came back into the office and sat down in his specially built chair. He closed his eyes and I glared at him. Well, how much of you is awake? Mr. Wolf? Uh. Well, they disappeared. Did you tell me you were going to help this girl just to get her out of the office or did you mean it? You're a gadfly. No, sir. No, sir. You made a promise and you're stuck with it. What did you get from Rodman? Name, address, occupation. He's a librarian, that's all. Very careless, Archie. You missed a significant point. Such as, uh... How did Rodman discover the letters he sold were being altered by forgery and used for swindle? How did he locate the Duke, Mr. Kent? Uh, I guess you're right. I'll ask him next time. But uh, what about now? Are you going to get Gloria's money back? I assume you call Miss Kent Gloria solely in order to annoy me. It does. Stop it. Get Cross and Halleck. On my way. 
You'll find them at the Hotel Bogart. <laughs> Wrong, sir. According to my notes, their address is... Never mind their address. The Hotel Bogart is the headquarters for successful confidence tricksters. They celebrate their victories there while the money lasts. You will possibly find Cross and Haddock drinking whiskey or lunching. Probably both. <laughs> I located Cross and Halleck in the hotel bar and lured them back to our place on 35th Street. Wolf was sitting behind his desk with his hands crossed on his impressive middle at peace with his lunch and the world when I ushered them in. He sat bolt upright and scorched me with a look. Good afternoon, Mr. Wolf. The tall one's name is Cross, the short one is Halleck. They uh, want to help me invest my money. Gentlemen, Mr. Nero Wolf. Huh? Zero wolf. What is this? Confound you, Archie. How drunk are they? Not too drunk for business. Let's get out of here. Come on. Wait a minute. You want me to keep him here, Mr. Wolf? Not by violence, Archie. Come back here, gentlemen. Unless you want seven years in the state penitentiary. Unless what? You got nothing on us, Wolf. Nothing. I have the Kent case. The Kent? That's a laugh. We're sitting pretty. Sitting pretty. You are not, sir. You imagine you possess legal immunity. Mr. Kent believes you are grotesque balderdash and will not sue for fraud. Miss Kent cannot sue because she is reluctant to accuse her father of wrongfully obtaining her money. Ergo, you think you are invulnerable. Now, listen. But you forget me. I'm a detective with a fee to earn. A big fee. Quiet, Archie. I am determined to get that fee. Therefore, as Miss Kent's agent, I can and will bring action against you. I'm indifferent to her tears or her father's disgrace. I'm indifferent to anything outside of money. You will return the $10,000 to me at once, sir, or you will be in jail by morning. You mean that? I do, Mr. Cross. Alec, come here. Come on, honey. Uh, okay. Here, Mr. Wolf. Alec and I have decided we don't want to get in any trouble with you. Here's your ten grand. Uh, let's have it. Give the dough to Kent, Mr. Wolf. Get the letters and map back for us. You've got a reputation for being tricky, but honest. We trust you. Come on, Alec, let's go. <laughs> well, how about that? Preposterous. No, sir. Take a look. Ten thousand dollars. Genuine coin of the realm. That man crosses a fool. Does he imagine I am to be fooled so easily? What do you mean he left the money? He surrendered too quickly, Archie. Too easily. And that money in the envelope he was carrying all ready to refund. Why? Well, maybe he's got a better sucker. I heard him mention a Ben Sanford. Nonsense. Does he need Kent's forged letters and map to cheat this Ben Sanford? Couldn't he prepare another set? Uh, I guess you're right. Something's fishy. In any event, it's no concern of mine, thank heaven. Uh, why not? I'm not committed to Miss Kent in any way. As a favor to you, I undertook to regain her money. I have done that. You may take it back to her and obtain the forged papers in return. But, uh... Silence, Mr. Goodwin. Go to your redhead charmer. Leave me in peace. I intend to spend this afternoon with my new world atlas. <laughs> I left him 3,000 miles up the Amazon with his magnifying glass and drove up to East 69th Street. The Kent house was a broken-down little brownstone, and as I went up the stoop, the door opened and Gloria Kent burst out like a skyrocket. Hey, Miss Kent, easy, easy. Let go of me. Let go. What's wrong? What's wrong? Wrong. 
wrong. Nothing is wrong. Nothing at all. Well, how about seeing your father? You want to see my father? Come inside. Oh, for the love of heaven. Come inside, Mr. Goodwin. I'll introduce you. He's in a back room. Come right through the living room. What else came through this living room? A hurricane? No, Mr. Goodwin. Something else. There's my father, Mr. Goodwin. What in the devil? He's dead. His throat's cut. This is Archie Goodwin from Nero Wolf's office. He and his boss refused to help while they could. Maybe he can help you now. Stop it. All I'm good for now is revenge. That's all. Stop it. Stop it and look at me. When did it happen? I don't know. When did you find him? Just now. Keep looking at me. Who went through this house like a hurricane? You? No. Where did you go after you left the office? To the laboratory. What lab? Document research. The place to check the map. How long were you there? Until an hour ago, I was with Mr. Rodman. Keep looking at me. And then? I had lunch. With Rodman? Alone. And then I came home. All right. All right, now listen to me. I want you to go to Mr. Wolf's house right now. Have you got a cab there? Yes. All right, take a cab. I've got to stay here, but I'll call Mr. Wolf and tell him you're on the way. Now, get. I called Wolf, told him everything, and he instructed me to advise Inspector Kramer who arrived with the homicide squad. I gave the inspector everything while the squad photographed and measured, print-dusted and detected. At 3.30, Kramer took me back to the house on 35th Street for a fight with Wolf. It's a great story, Wolf. Great. Kent buys a phony treasure map. Everybody knows it's phony except Kent. But Cross and Halleck try to buy it back, and Kent gets himself murdered. Did you find the map and letters in the house, Inspector? No, no, I didn't. Killer was after the map. A phony map? Certainly. Why? Well, if we knew that, we would know why Cross and Halleck so willingly paid back the money and why Kent was murdered. Maybe it's not phony. I'd better see the girl now. Oh, you fancy her for the murder? Well, I'll know after I ask a few questions. Tonight. She's had a shock, Mr. Kramer. She needs rest. Look, Wolf, I want her. Why bother with her when there's so much to be done? Yes, such as? Cross and Halleck, find them. And the mystery man they spoke of, Ben Sanford. These are the men you want now, not this poor, overwrought girl. Yeah. All right. The girl will be here for questioning tonight, though, huh? Tonight, Mr. Kramer. Okay. You'll hear from me later on. (laughs) Well, you buffaloed him out of that, okay. Say, uh, why don't you want her questioned? Is she guilty? I don't know. Well, what did she say when she got here? She said nothing. She never arrived. She never what? He never arrived. Well, then why did you tell Kramer she was resting? Would he have believed the truth? <laughs> she must be found. More important, we must learn why Forge letters and Forge map produces turmoil. Find the killer and you find the map. You said so. I said the reverse, which is an altogether different statement. Archie, I want a photograph of that map. Get it. Oh, sure, sure. Any particular camera you want me to use? You'll find a photograph of 200 Vanderbilt Street. Are you kidding? The lab cannot check the authenticity of old papers without photographing them in ultraviolet light, infrared light, and so on. If this document research lab has examined those papers, they will have photographs. Get them! He got out of his chair and waddled back to the house elevator. 
It was four o'clock and time for his regular afternoon session with the orchids. I drove down to the document research laboratory on Vanderbilt and got such a shock that I grabbed the office phone and dialed Wolf at once. This is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf, Archie here. What's the matter? Are you lost? No, sir. No, sir, but I found something. Photographs? No, Mr. Wolf. I don't think you'll ever see any photographs of the Kent map. I don't think any were taken. Indeed. But uh, guess who runs the document research laboratory? No, 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 no. Don't guess. You probably know. A man named Ben Sanford, and he's sitting right here looking at me. Bring him home with you. Home? But it's four in the afternoon. This is the sacred hour when you pray over your orchids. And Mr. Sanford can join the ceremony. Hey, how about this place? How about it? There must be a million flowers up here. <laughs> no, not flowers. Orchids only. Mr. Wolf has 10,000 plants. Never saw anything like it. And you never will again, brother. Hey, uh, what, uh, what kind is that on the bench? Oh, that. That's our pride and joy. Odontoglossum harianum. Above them, the Van Petersirana. And the pink ones are the Silogiani uh, Pandoratas. Now, the large object, mulching flower pots, is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf, Ben Sanford. Good afternoon, sir. Hi. I came along to be obliging. I've got nothing to say about anything. How much have you offered Cross and Halleck for their treasure map? No comment. Mr. Sanford, I'm going to make some assumptions. I assume that you are not, in fact, a document expert, but an accessory to the fraud of Halleck and Cross. No comment. And you actually prepare fraudulent maps for those swindlers. And then in the guise of an expert, guarantee their authenticity. No comment. Now this you must answer. You did guarantee the authenticity of the map and letters can't bought. It's on record. All right, I did. Then will you admit they were forged? What are you, a comic? No. You guarantee the value of the Kent map? Yes. As an expert? Yes. And you've convicted yourself of murder? Murder? What is this? Mr. Kent was murdered, sir. Evidently for the map and letters he bought. But of all persons involved, you alone believe in the value of the map. No one else does. Therefore, you alone would have murdered Kent for the map. For the love of... Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Chew it over, brother. Chew it over. Either way, he's got you. Okay. Okay, you... You want me to level? Here it is. Level, Archie? Okay, boss. Thief-type talk. It means tell the truth. It's like you say, the letters were bought from Rodman. I forged the map and evidence on them. I guaranteed them to Kent. The swindle. The letters are without value? Oh, sure, they're old, that's all, from 1851. Just tired family gossip and stuff. Indeed. There we have the problem again, Archie. Mr. Kent is swindled with a map and letters that are known to be worthless. He alone believes the fantasy of the treasure. There isn't any treasure, never was. Yet Cross and Halleck refunded the swindle money so eagerly. It is obvious they want those worthless documents back badly. Someone else wants them so bad he murders Mr. Kent. Why? I don't know. Ah, gee, we must find the girl. There's a chance she turned to Mr. Rodman for refuge. I'm sorry, you'll have to go there at once. If the girl isn't there, bring Rodman. Yes? Hello, Rodman. Remember me? I'm Archie Goodwin from Nero Wolf's office. Oh, 
Oh, yes, of course. I came to get Gloria Kent. There's been a change in plans. Tell her to come out, please. Gloria? Well, she's not here. Why should she be? Haven't you heard? Heard what? Well, I guess you'd better come down and see Wolf. Uh, Mr. Goodwin, I'm afraid I can't. I'm rather busy. Look, Rodman, maybe you ought to know. Old man Kent was murdered. What? Yes, yes, just after you and Gloria left us. Kent murdered? Well, I... well this is awful, Mr. Goodwin. You it's... want to see Mr. Wolf now? Get your hat. Murder? Well, believe me, I never wanted this. I... I'm going to tell Nero Wolf the whole mess. Every word of it. Okay, then. Come on, let's go. Yes, of course. Just a minute. I'll get my hat in the bedroom. Murdered? Kent, I never dreamed. Come on, Rodman. Come on, Rodman. Come on. What? I didn't hear you. Oh, Rodman. What the... Rodman. Oh, Rodman. Good Lord. What next? Come on. This is Nero Wolf. Archie here. We've had a tough break. Yes? While I was waiting for Rodman at the front door, he went into the bedroom for his hat. The killer was there. How do you know? He cut Rodman's throat. Killer. The back window was open. It's the ground floor apartment. He was out and gone before I had a chance. Archie, where were your wits? Let me alone. I've had a man murdered 20 feet from me. You think I'm cheering? Mr. Kramer is here, and he has news for us, Archie. Could not locate Cross and Halleck in their apartment. They had not been home all day. The maid informed him that she was waiting for her weekly salary. Well, so what? She was most angry and peppery, Mr. Kramer informs me. Red pepper? Exactly. Okay. Okay, maybe I know what you mean. I'll try to deliver the goods this time. Goodbye. I drove down to the apartment house on Gramercy Square where Cross and Halleck lived, took the elevator up to the 10th floor, found the right door, and slipped in with a pass key. Come on out. Come out wherever you are. I know you're in here. You fooled Kramer pretending to be the maid, but you didn't fool Wolf. You'd better... Gloria! Out! Cut it out, you idiot! Lay off! Archie, Archie, you dope Archie Goodwin from Nero Wolf's office. Remember me? Give me the gun, Gloria. Give it to me. That's right. Who, uh, who did you think I was? Halleck. Oh, brilliant. So Wolf figured you out, huh? Oh, you are a brave girl. They killed your father. You came up here and waited for them. You were going to kill them right back, huh? Oh, that red-headed temper. And you bluffed Kramer into thinking you were the maid. I had to do something. It was the only thing I could think of. To come here and kill him. Well, you're coming home with Archie. And just remember one thing. When Wolf's working for you, don't try to do any thinking. It only gets in Wolf's way. I got Gloria Kent back to the house at 7 o'clock. I parked the car, brought her into the office, and got the shock of my life. There was a convention on. Wolf was there with Inspector Kramer representing the cops. Cross, Halleck, and Sanford were there representing the crooks. When Kramer saw Gloria, he scowled first at her, 
And then at Wolf. So it was a slick one after all, Wolf. You didn't have the girl. You had no intention of producing her. Please, Mr. Kramer, that can wait. There are other matters more important. I dine at eight. That leaves me one hour to solve your murders. Murders? More than one? Yes, two. Elmer Rodman. I haven't good one if you... Please, Mr. Kramer, not now. First, Miss Kent. Good evening, Miss Kent. I presume you have met these gentlemen, Cross Halleck and Sanford? I... Yeah, I'll take your purse, please. Huh? Well, why? I... Uh, don't think me as naive as Mr. Goodwin, miss. When you left your home after the murder of your father, you took the map and letters with you. They are in your purse well, now. That's true. Archie, the purse. Thank you. We have here an interesting situation. There exists some old letters and map, forged and fraudulent. which are worth $10,000 and more to Cross and Halleck and worth two murders to a killer. Why? There must be something of great value in the letters. Yes, such as? Something which Mr. Sanford could not see, although he worked on the document closely. Yet something which could be made manifest. What is the answer, Miss Kent? You know it? I swear I don't. Secret writing, Archie. Bring the chafing dish from the dining room. Right. Secret writing? I saw nothing when I worked on those letters. Naturally, Mr. Sanford, the writing is invisible. That heat is an agent. Makes most forms of secret writing visible. The chafing dish, boss. Thank you, Archie. Place it before me and light it. Right. Now I open Miss Kent's purse. From it, you see, I withdraw these ancient letters which he took from her house after her father's murder. That's not true. Archie. That's enough, Gloria. That's enough. From now on, you just listen. We remove the letters from the envelope and toast them gently. Secret Ink Vintage 1851 will easily succumb to the agency of heat. Careful. Those envelopes will catch fire. Hey, hey, hey. They're caught. Don't be upset, Mr. Cross, Mr. Halleck. The envelopes. They'll burn safely in the dish. We can concentrate on the writing. Watch closely. I don't want to be accused of trickery. You fat fool. The envelopes are everything. Put them out, Sanford. Don't sit there. Put them out. Why, Mr. Halleck? Well, the stamps, the missionaries, they're worth a fortune. The missionaries? Of course. You know that. Mr. Cross knows. So does Mr. Sanford, right? Yeah, yeah. Cross Sanford knows, you old fool. Let me... Uh, Mr. Sanford is not alarmed. Why not, sir? I don't know what you're talking about. Fifty or a hundred thousand dollars is burning before your eyes, Mr. Sanford. Cross and Halleck are burning their fingers, putting out the flaming envelopes. And you sit there quite indifferently. Why? Well, I've... I... Yeah, I, you know the value of the missionary stamps on the letters you bought from Rodman. But you know these aren't the real letters. Isn't that it? Not the real letters? I told you I'm tough to crack, Wolf. You didn't fool me with those dummies. Dummies? How do you know? Mr. Cross didn't know. Mr. Haddock didn't know. How did you? Well, I... Uh... I'll tell you, sir. Only one man could know I was framing Miss Kent as a decoy... Only one man could know I prepared these dummy letters and pretended to take them from her purse, and that is the killer. The man who murdered her father and stole the map and letters this morning. You, sir, Mr. Sanford. Well, I'll be... Mr. Kramer, there's your killer. You'll find the missing map and letters on him or concealed in his home or office. You won't need the evidence anyway. Look at his face. He's self-confessed. Self-confessed like fun? He was booby-trapped. No, Mr. Craner. Not a complicated case, really. Very simple. 
Elmer Rodman sold a packet of old family letters to the swindlers for a small sum. They used the letters to perpetrate their fraud on Miss Kent's father. And the stamps on the letters were valuable? They were a special Hawaiian issue 1851, Miss Kent. Nicknamed missionaries, because missionaries used them for writing home. They had extremely rare stamps worth upward of $25,000 each. Hey, no wonder they were worth two murders. We found five of them on Sandwin. Excellent. Somewhere or other, Rodman discovered the value of the stamps after he sold the letters. In his effort to get them back, he communicated his discovery to the swindlers, Cross, Halleck, and Sanford. So that's why they refunded the money so fast. Precisely, in an effort to have the sale rescinded. Rodman sought out Kent and tried to convince him of the fraud. Alas, he would not listen to the truth, Mr. Kramer. Oh, I get it. And while the others were hassling around, Sanford tried to steal a march and quietly resorted to murder. Ah, there you have it. Ha <laughs> ha! Great job, boss, great job. So Gloria not only gets her ten grand back, but uh, five times twenty-five, which is about a hundred and twenty-five thousand worth of goodies. Now, figuring your rates by the hour, that means you've done a gratis job worth about... Yes, um... Ken. I did not know will I demand a large fee for what I have done. I will not go back on my word. But I can beg for a favor. I'll only be too happy to... Wait, wait, wait. I ask something that will not be easy to grant. What is it? Will you use your red hair, your pretty face, your admirable figure, and your ample fortune to lure Mr. Goodwin away from this house tonight? I would like to enjoy my dinner in peace. <laughs> that won't be difficult, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> Let's have an understanding right now, Gloria. Difficult for you or for me? I'll be delighted. <laughs> Indeed. To spend an evening with Mr. Goodwin, there is only one word for you, Miss Kent. Intrepid. <laughs> have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's story by Alfred Bester was based on the famous characters created by Rex Stout, produced by Edwin Fadiman, and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Wally Mayer as Archie Goodwin, and Gene Bates, Howard McNair, Jay Novello, Larry Dobkin, Bill Johnstone, and Herb Vigran. Music by Joseph Enos. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolf and Archie will bring you The Case of the Careworn Cup. Stay tuned for Martin and Lewis next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis in a show that was first broadcast in 1949. And tonight's special guest is Burl Ives. Let's laugh! Laugh! <laughs> it's the Martin and Lewis Show! Wow! The National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from New York, the Martin and Lewis Show. Our guest today, Burl Ives, and featuring Flo McMichael, Dick Stabile, and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin. Everybody loves somebody sometimes. Everybody falls in love somehow. And Jerry Lewis. Without 
If you think candy's sweet, there's a girl you ought to meet. Sugar drips from her lips when she sighs. But the love light that lies within my baby's eyes, how it lies, how it lies, how it lies. She has style, she has charms, and a pair of loving arms that I'm dying to try on for size. But the love light that lies within my baby's eyes, how it lies, how it lies, how it lies. Oh, her name tops the list of every florist. Her bows are standing ten deep in line With all of the trees in the forest Why should I be the only clinging vine? Oh, there's heartbreak in store With the one that you adore Is a devil in the angel's disguise But the love light that lies Is the love light that dies How it lies, how it lies, how it lies Well, Jerry and Dean are all excited because today they're going to record a new song for Capitol Records. We find them home in their apartment talking it over while they eat breakfast. Gee, Dean, I'm all excited about making another record for Capitol, aren't you? Sure, Jerry. Remember the fun we had making our first one? The money song and that certain party? Yeah, those were good songs, too. I wonder what song they've picked out for us to record this time. Well, don't worry about it now, Dean. Eat your breakfast. Uh, say, Jerry. Yeah, Dean. I want to compliment you on your cooking. This is the best coffee you ever made. You really like that coffee? No, I sure do. That's funny. It's molasses for the pancakes. <laughs> hey, speaking of pancakes, uh, where are they? I was going to tell you about the pancakes, Dean. I wanted them to raise up nice and fluffy, so I added some yeast. Oh, yeast? Well, how much did you add? Well, the cakes are very small. I only threw in two dozen. <laughs> two dozen yeast? And what happened? You may not believe this, Dean, but our kitchen is now 27 feet high. Oh, there you go again. You're exaggerating it. Now, stop kidding around. I'm going to look through this mail. You're really proud of me, huh, Dean? I already complimented you, Jerry. I know, but gee, it's the first breakfast I ever cooked. Honest, Dean, what did you actually think of it? Well, Jerry, a true friend would answer that in, uh, in one or two ways. If he likes it, he'd say so. And if he didn't like it, he'd change the subject. Well? So how's the family? <laughs> Look here, Dean Martin, I'm sick of your insinuations. That's all I get around here. And to think that I've given you the best years of my life. Oh, Jerry. It's you! I spent the best years of my life bending over a hot stove. Every day a hot stove, hot stove, hot stove. And Dean... What? Would you buy me an asbestos apron? <laughs> I'm ruining my Hickok belt buckle. Well, we'll see about that. Have some toast, Dean? I just took it out of the toaster. Jerry, look at all the burnt black edges on the toast. Scrape it off first. Okay, I'll scrape it. Well, now for 
for the other side. <laughs> well, we better hurry, Jerry. We record at 11 o'clock, and we still have to find out what song we're going to sing. I'm almost ready, Dean. I hope we can sing a good fast tune. Everybody likes a good fast tune. Well, according to our contract, we have to sing whatever they pick out, and I, uh, I sure hope they remember that uh, my voice is classified as a baritone. I wonder what I'm classified as. Well, offhand, I'd say you were a necessary evil. Necessary evil? How can you say that when all week I've been practicing pear-shaped tones? And just how have you been getting pear-shaped tones? Every morning I stick the Dick Tracy comic strip in my mouth and swallow it. <laughs> Every morning I stick the comic strip in my mouth and swallow I wish I was dead. <laughs> Jerry, we got to see Mr. Allen at 11 o'clock to talk about our next recording. We better hurry and, uh, you know, get away. Come in. Who is it? It's me. Hiya, Florence. Come in. Shall I make you some toast? No, thank you. My doctor told me not to eat any more carbon. <laughs> well, uh, you look kind of upset, Florence. Anything wrong? Well, I'm not complaining or anything, but I've been working for you for six weeks now, and I think it's about time you paid me my salary. But, Florence, we've given you a check each week. You've been paid in full right up to date. Check? That's right, Florence. You've been paid. It's just that instead of money, we gave you a check. That's what I say. I want my money. <laughs> Florence, can't you understand? You take the check to the bank, and the men will cash it for you after you write your name across the back of it. Well, why should I write my name across the back of it? My name's already on the front. Florence McMichael, $35. It's a bank rule, Florence. It's a state law. Oh, you're just saying that. I bet anything the man wants me to write my name on it so he can ask me for a date. <laughs> Florence, the man isn't asking you for a date, and even if he was, he knows who you are from the front of the check. You know, Florence McMichael, $35. That's it. He's after my money. <laughs> All right, Florence, have it your way. Don't sign your name on the check. Oh, I wouldn't want to do anything illegal. I'd be in a fine fix if a man called the cops and they threw me into the hose gal. Hose gal? <laughs> Florence, it isn't hose gal, it's half bra. <laughs> you know, Florence, it's not right for you to be running around loose. Dean's right, Florence. Have you ever thought of getting married? Married? Yeah. Well, I don't think a girl ought to rush into these things. What church shall I meet you at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see it all now. Florence is married. A little ivy-covered cottage with a patter of tiny feet upstairs. Tiny feet? You mean... Sure. And if you've been reading the papers lately, it might even be quadruplets. Oh, uh, just what I've always wanted Five kids. Florence, you can stay here and file our papers in the mail. Jerry and I have to go see about the recording today. Oh, you're going to make a record? Well, yes, we are. We've been trying to think of songs to do. Have you heard that new one that goes, When you caught me near the chicken coop, Nellie, I knew you'd egg me on? No. There's another one I like. It's called, Don't Go Near the Hayloft, Mother. Pop's in there pitching with the maid. <laughs> music I like is folk music. I heard one last night on the radio. A folk tune? What was it? 
Well, it was called, it was apple fritter time south of Alabama, and after working on the railroad, I courted Sarah Lou, my lady fair, atop old Smokey while eating Jimmy Crack corn and drinking out of the little brown jug as the whispering green grass and the cool waters told my own true love would never fail me until I did. Well, you know, that, that's a terrible song title. Who sang it? Dick Haynes. Well, for his kind of voice, it's not too bad. Say, Dean, are you really jealous of Dick Haynes? Well, of course not. What makes you say that? Well, you're always mailing him laryngitis germs. <laughs> Jerry, that's silly. It's absolutely impossible to send laryngitis through the mails. I inquired. favorite is a song I heard on the radio the other night. I heard Burl Ives sing it. It's called Two Black Eyes and a Broken Nose. That's the Curse of a Peeping Tom. <laughs> Sounds like a beat-up song to me. Oh, quiet you do. Come on, Jerry. We better go down to the recording studio. See you later, Florence. What song do you think we should sing when we make our next record? Oh, I don't know. We ought to try to get something different. <laughs> That's what I say, something different. Something that shows my voice off, too. Well, I don't like to say anything, Jerry, but it's my voice that should uh, predominate on our records. Oh. What's the matter? Nothing. Nothing at all. If I'm in your way, I'll step aside. Oh, Jerry. Ah, that's all right. <laughs> I know when I'm not wanted. Go ahead. Go your own way. Turn me out into the cold. Homeless, friendless, no money, no place to go. Nobody wants me. Two forlorn figures tramping the streets. Two forlorn figures? Yeah. Me and Mayor Haig. <laughs> ah, but don't worry, Dean. I won't stand in your way. What do you care if I'm hungry? A dried-up bag of bones walking aimlessly around in the rain, soaked through to the skin. Cold and wet and clammy and... Shivering and cold, and Dean. What? You got a hot water bottle? Ah, <laughs> oh, Jerry, now straighten up. We're almost there. And remember when we go in, let me do the talking. Okay, you do the talking. I wouldn't insist on it, but you're so soft. I can't help it, Dean. I've always been soft. I, when I was a baby, the talcum powder used to bruise me. <laughs> well, here we are. Let's go in. Hey, Dean, look at the glass partitions. Yeah, and those fellas inside them are disc jockeys playing recordings. Disc jockeys? Let's open this door and listen. And here's another Bing Crosby record, White Christmas. And here's When the Blue of the Night Meets the Gold of the Day. And here's Tora Laura Laura. Well, who was that? Sinatra breaking Crosby records. <laughs> here's where we go in, Dean. Hi, Mr. Allen. Oh, oh, hello, boys. Boys, glad to see you. Sit down. Oh, uh, by the way, before I forget it, some woman's been hanging around the halls all morning. She wants to see you. Wants to see me? Yes, uh, she's starting a new fan club or something. Well, every little bit helps. Now, have you got a song picked out for us, Mr. Allen? Well, I've been giving it a lot of thought. Now, you boys were pretty good on uh, the money song, and you were even better on that certain party. But this time, we got to do something new, something different. Something different? Well, what's the matter with the way we sing now? Nothing, nothing, but you got to progress. You got to give them something different all the time, something new. Oh, you mean something like uh, classical? Mm, classical? I don't know. What do we know about classical music, Dean? 
The other night we were listening to Toscanini and we could hardly understand it. Well, of course we couldn't. You were making so much noise eating dinner, I couldn't tell if it was Toscanini or Veal Scalapini. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe uh, classical isn't what we want either. Well, uh, you know, I'm Italian. Maybe I could sing something operatic, you know. Ridi Pagliacci. You know, something like that. How was that? Uh, well, uh, it's okay, but Ezio Pinza has been doing that for years, and what did it get him? What'd you say? I say uh, Ezio Pinza has been doing that for years, and what did it get him? Mary Martin, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> boys, boys, opera is out. After all, we want something popular. I know something different. Do a foreign song like Jean Sablon does. You know, he sings, May I kiss your hand, madame? Your dainty fingertips, je les passe de tulle de patamou la tolle de. Je les pète de patamou de patamou. Ma te les mette celle de tu. That's French. <laughs> no, no, boys, you haven't hit it yet. Say, I just happened to think. You know who's one of our... You know who's one of our biggest record sellers? Burl Ives. Yeah, but he sings the folk songs. Well, what's wrong with that? Maybe that's the different thing I'm after for you guys. But we don't know anything about that kind of singing. Well, you can sure find out. Burl Ives is recording today. Go down the hall, listen to him, and come back and tell me what you think. Okay, you're the boss. See you later. You know, he may be right, Jerry. Maybe we should sing folk tunes. You know, after all, Florence likes them, too. Gee, Dean, I like the way you sing now. Yeah, but maybe it's time I change my style. Change your style? Oh, Dean, when I think of those voice lessons you had, those weeks of training, and all those months of listening to Perry Como records. <laughs> you know, the more I think about it, the more I think Mr. Allen is right. Oh, there you are, Mr. Martin. <laughs> you know, I knew you'd be here today, and I waited all morning to say hello. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, hello. Oh! oh, that voice, that voice. Oh. When you speak, each syllable comes out wearing a sweater. Say, lady, if you don't mind, we're... Oh, I suppose I should introduce myself. I'm Laura Taproot. I'm president of the new Dean Martin fan club. But Mrs. Taproot, Dean already has three or four fan clubs now. Yes, I know, but our club is novel. We only take older members from 50 years up. <laughs> you mean all the girls in this fan club are 50 years old? Yes. We used to adore H.V. Kaltenborn, but we switched over to Dean Martin. We got tired of having things explained. From now on, we're going to try to figure them out for ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, when did all this happen? Oh, you should be quite thrilled. You won out over so many, many others. You see, Vic Damone gets the girls from 16 to 20. Sinatra gets them from 20 to 30. Crosby gets them from 30 to 50. Yes. <laughs> well, there we were, ready and willing. <laughs> With uh, no one to swoon over. Oh, please, Mr. Martin, you, you don't think we girls of that age are being silly, do you? No. You certainly have a right to have your fling. Yes, that's what I told the club. Let's have our fling before we're all flung out. <laughs> Say, lady. Yes? Are you for real? <laughs> you know, we listen faithfully 
way to your program, Mr. Martin. And when you sing to us, well, the first night, Mrs. Crabtree dropped three stitches. <laughs> and when you sang your second song, the knitting stayed where it was and Mrs. Crabtree dropped. <laughs> well, all I can say is that I'm very flattered. I don't know quite what to say. This fan club of yours sounds like it's a very nice group of women. Oh, yes. We're mostly widows. Some of us are graying a little. <laughs> but I the young men of today are making a big mistake in not considering older women in their plans. Uh, but uh, really, I don't think many men would agree with you there, Mrs. Taprat Roots. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, nobody would prefer, say, uh, nobody would uh, prefer Marjorie Maine if they could get Ava Gardner. I would, but I'm only 23 years old. What do I know? <laughs> say, young man. Are you really only 23 years old? That's right. <laughs> Would you mind if I chucked you under the chin? Go ahead. Oh, my. I've been on the main course so long I'd forgotten what an hors d'oeuvre looked like. <laughs> well, I'm afraid I've taken up too much of your time, but before I go, I wonder if I could ask a favor. Well, go right ahead, ma'am. Well, we girls have a favorite song, and we were wondering if you'd sing it for us. It's an old one called Come... Where my love lies. Dreaming? Of course we are! Who cares? <laughs> I'd be glad to sing a song you want, Mrs. Taproot. Oh, thank you and goodbye, young man. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I'm all agog with excitement. Tomorrow, I throw away my Dr. Scholl's foot pads and start flying. Goodbye. Bye. Dean, are you really going to sing that song she asked for? Sure, Jerry, but first we've got to go down to the hall and listen to Burl Ives. Somehow I just can't see myself singing a folk tune. Me either. But Mr. Allen is a smart man. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. You know, can't hurt us to listen to Burl Ives. <laughs> Well, this is the recording studio, Jay. Hey, mister, we want to talk to Burl Ives. Quiet. Mr. Ives is about to record. Okay, I'm sorry. Shh, Jerry. Let's listen. Great-grandfather met great-grandmother when she was a shy young miss. And great-grandfather won great-grandmother with words more or less like this. Lavender blue, dilly dilly, lavender green If I were king, dilly dilly, I'd need a queen Who told me so, dilly dilly, who told me so I told myself, dilly dilly, I told me so If your dilly dilly heart feels a dilly dilly way and if you answer yes In a pretty little church On a dilly-dilly day You'll be wed in a dilly-dilly dress Of lavender blue Dilly-dilly Lavender green Then I'll be king Dilly-dilly And you'll be my queen Well, that was wonderful, Mr. Ives. Why, thank you. Uh, I don't think we've met. Well, my name is Dean Martin. Well, well, uh, how do you do? And this is my partner. Well, well, how do you do, Dean? <laughs> 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 now, 
famous dives. I'm Jerry Lewis, and I don't look like Howdy Doody. <laughs> Howdy Doody's a television puppet with a silly wooden head and no expression on its face and clumsy hands and feet and... Dean. What? Pull up my strings. I'm ad-libbing too much. <laughs> Jerry's my partner, Mr. Ives. He's a great kid and a great comedian. Mr. Ives, Jerry and I wanted to ask your advice about something. Yeah, Mr. Ives, we admire you. Last year, I read your book, Wayfaring Stranger, cover to cover, and I loved it. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Oh, that's nothing. Next year, I'm going to read the pages between. <laughs> when we came in the studio just now, Mr. Ives, you were singing Lavender Blue, but uh, I thought you always sang Western songs. I like his Western tunes, don't you, Jerry? Well, I admire it powerful much, partner. And I'm an authority on Western music. Uh, you're an authority on Western music? Sure. Because I've lived in the West and I loves it. Partner, I want to tell all the folks that when I puts my Stetson and slides my Levi's into the riding leather on a bucking bronco to round up a herd of doggies, well, they're sure going to be Russell's on the stage tonight down by the old corral. Look how they're staring at me. <laughs> Has Jerry ever been in the West at all, Dean? Well, about a year ago, we played a date at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. Flamingo Hotel? That sounds like a dude ranch to me. Dude ranch? Why, partner, it's really a dude ranch. All the horses have Tony Cold waves. <laughs> oh, come on, Jerry. Dude ranch? Why, I didn't call my horse Old Paint. I called him Old Lipstick. <laughs> old, old Lipstick? That's right. You heard of the flying red horse? Yeah. Well, Old Lipstick didn't fly. He just skipped along. <laughs> Jerry. You asked me if it was a dude ranch, eh, partner? Why, when I'd ride old lipstick real hard, he didn't perspire. He broke out in taboo. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, what's all this got to do with, with your being an authority on Western music? Well, I am. And I really appreciate the way you can play that guitar, Mr. Ives. I appreciate it especially because me. I play the guitar like crazy. A professional? Nah. How come? Who wants to hire a crazy guitar player? Aw, <laughs> oh, come on. Stop it, Jerry. We came in here to ask Mr. Ives about singing folk songs. I know he did, Dean, but first I want him to hear something new. This music is so new, it doesn't have a name yet. Ooly-oo-coo-bop, lay-ba-loo-bee-beep, ooly-oo-boo, ooly a ba da ba da ba doo boo boo oo coo op lee-ba-dee-ba-loo-boo, a la be a ba Jerry! Well, what do you think, Mr. Ives? Jerry, tell me one thing. Are you for real? You know something? I'm not for sure. I was singing. <laughs> I was singing Bop. Bop? I thought you swallowed an Alka-Seltzer sidewise. Jerry, if you'll keep quiet for just two minutes, I'll tell Mr. Ives why we came in to see him. You see, Capitol Records wants us to record another number, and uh, we were wondering if we might try a folk tune for our next recording. Folk tune, eh? Mm. Well, I've never heard you sing, Dean, but I'm told that you've got a very fine baritone voice and that you sing a nice ballad. Oh, he does. Go ahead. Yeah. Dean, sing a few notes for Mr. Ives. Well, okay. Here's the number I'm singing on the show this week. I don't see me In your eyes anymore Oh, why can't I make them shine as before? I don't see you or your heart in your kiss when you should sigh. 
that you're mine, you is There was a time life was fine, love was ecstasy. But now I doubt what the outcome will be. I pray you'll say I'm the one you adore Then I'll see me In your eyes as before beautiful thing <laughs> I mean that was beautiful Dean <laughs> wasn't it Mr. Rhyme oh yes it sounded very good Dean well thanks <laughs> <laughs> but do you think I can sing folk songs that's a hard question it's all a question you know of your background if you were brought up in the country like I was well you'd sing folk songs as easy as uh, falling out of bed yeah but I've been singing popular songs all my life well, that's the best racket, Dean. Sing uh, popular songs. That, that gets the girls. There's no point in singing folk songs like me. Why? Uh, what do you get with folk songs? Folks? Okay. <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with folks. I've got a wonderful set. <laughs> well, you boys don't realize how lucky you are. You got started in show business fast with an agent and in good places instead of the backwoods like I did. You started in the backwoods? I was so far back that for the first two years, my agent was Daniel Boone. <laughs> you see, you can't really know about a folk song like the Foggy Foggy Do unless you're born in the, in the country. I was born in Newark, and they understand about Foggy Foggy Do. Only there they call it Jersey Lightning. <laughs> Just what I said. See, you don't understand folk music. Now, uh, uh, how can you sing a song like, well, Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care if you don't know what it means? Oh, I know. Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care. That's about a comedian named Jimmy Cracking Corny Jokes and I don't care if he is laying in there. <laughs> Gee, Burley, it, it must have been pretty rugged for you growing up in the back country that away. No, I had fun when I was a kid. I spent a whole, my whole boyhood working. Gathering eggs, we always had plenty of milk and real vegetables, fresh fruit everywhere. Gee, what a funny place to grow up in a delicatessen. <laughs> well, I don't think I'd have minded being born in the country, Burl. Me neither. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam and the deer and the cantaloupe play. <laughs> the deer and the cantaloupe play? Yeah, he's back in the delicatessen again. <laughs> You know something, Jerry? Burl Ives has got nothing to worry about. Say, Burl. <laughs> yes, Dean. <laughs> uh, we want to thank you for being with us today, and uh, we enjoyed hearing you sing your sensational tune, Lavender Blue. Well, thank you very much. It's and we, a we, pleasure, we, yeah. We thank enjoyed you very the much. wonderful... It's okay, fellas. Well, it's all right. Well, we enjoyed the thank wonderful work. Thank you very work. much. It's Yeah, right. we enjoyed... Thank you, Burl. Thank you. The Martin and Lewis Show, transcribed in New York, is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Dick McKnight, Ray Allen, Roger Price, and Sid Resnick. This is Bob Warren suggesting you tune in to your NBC station next Sunday evening at the same hour for The Martin and Lewis Show!
Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nick Carter, Master Detective, followed by The Red Skelton Show. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.